0: Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media, to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one mother, I mean. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and for the age of all ages, I mean. The man in today's gospel was both blind and mute because a demon in him possessed him and made him blind and mute. But as it turns out, this is not a requirement to be blind or mute. I am going to tell you the story about a book. Um, It's not what the book talks about, but it's the story behind the book. And it's a book basically about wisdom and the story goes something like this: the authors of the book they saw that there's a, a lot of problems with youth generally and specifically in, with university youth on campuses. A lot of weird ideas, unhelpful ideas, unhealthy ideas. So they wanted to write a book to help youth, especially university youth, think properly, clearly, and uh, give them the benefit of the wisdom from the, the 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 different traditions so they wanted to write a book on wisdom so they decided the best way is that let's ask someone wise for some advice and they heard about this wise man who lived on mount olympus in greece his name was misoponus so they said let's go talk to this man and see what he has to teach us so they flew to Athens and took a five-hour train ride to the town at the foot of Mount Olympus. And at sunrise, they woke up and they started their trek up the mountain. And by noon, they had arrived almost all the way, but they met a fork in the road. And uh, there was a sign at the fork saying, Misoponus to the right. The, road, the path to the left was difficult and it was narrow, it looked dangerous but the path to the right looked nice and prepared. It looked level and smooth and easy. So it took them through a pleasant grove of pine and fir trees and there was a nicely constructed bridge over a deep ravine and right into the mouth of a huge cave. And inside the cave they saw a very strange scene, something they did not expect. They saw Misoponus and his assistants inside the cave. And they had installed one of those tick a number, red rolly thing that you see in, uh, uh, when you go to buy something, when you go to a deli, you pick a number. So they had one of those installed. And there was a huge line of other wisdom seekers ahead of them. So they took a number and they paid the 100 euro fee for a private audience with the great man and they performed the mandatory uh, rituals of purification and they waited, and waited, and waited, and waited. And when their turn came, they were ushered into a back room uh, or a small room in the back of the cave where there was a small spring of water and water was bubbling out of the spring and into a bowl. And right next to the water, in a kind of a lounge chair, there sat the great man, Mesoponos. And he spoke to them in perfect English. He said, come on in, guys. Tell me what you seek. Perfect American English. So they say to him, "O wise oracle, we we have come seeking wisdom. What are the deepest and greatest of truth? So one of them thought that this was too much, too general. The question wasn't specific enough. So he said, "Actually, we're writing a book about wisdom for teenagers, young adults, parents, educators, and we're kind of hoping that you could boil it down. You can boil down your insights into some, you know, sharp axioms, you know, sayings that are that hit really deep. Uh, ideally, three of them." which if followed would lead young people to develop wisdom over the course of their lives. And he waited and waited. Now, Misoponus sat there silently. He closed his eyes and he sat there for two minutes. And finally he opened his eyes and said, this fountain is the spring of Kalemus. Uh, Kalemus was a Greek god of wisdom. He's not as well known as Athena who gets too much press, in my opinion. But Kalimus also had some really good stuff too, if you ask me, which you did, so I will tell you. I will give you three cups of wisdom. So he fills an alabaster cup from the water beside him, and he gives it to them, they drink it, and they give back to him. So he says, the first truth is this, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So avoid pain, avoid discomfort, avoid all potentially bad experiences. So they were surprised because everything they had known until that moment said the opposite. They heard, of course, the famous saying of uh, Nietzsche, who, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So they asked, they said, excuse me, did you really mean to say weaker? Because I've heard quotes from many different traditions that say the opposite setbacks, pain, traumatic experiences, all these things can make people stronger. So he closed his eyes and said, did I say weaker or stronger? Wait a minute, is it weaker or stronger? He squeezed his eyes shut and thought about it. And then he opened his eyes and said, yes, I'm right. Weaker is what I meant. Bad experiences are terrible. Who would want one? I mean, did you travel all the way here to have a bad experience? Of course not. And pain? So many wise men, are sitting in caves in this mountain on cold hard ground for 12 hours a day and what does it get them? Circulation problem, lower back pain. How much wisdom can you dispense after all if all you're thinking about is your, your, your back that's hurting? That's why I got this chair 20 years ago. Why shouldn't I be comfortable? With clear irritation in his voice he added, um, can I finish? because they were about to interrupt, so they said, sorry. And he gave them the cup again. So they drank a second time and gave it back to him. And he said to them, truth number two, always trust your feelings, never question them. Now another person in the group recalled and said, like, no, like, hold on one minute. This doesn't make sense. I spent many, many years as a psychologist and I know CBT and all that stuff and I'm like you got to test these feelings you can't just trust them without questioning without testing without anything everything I've learned is based on the opposite of this advice feelings are so often misleading and um, you really can not achieve proper mental health until you learn to question them and free yourself from some of the distortions of reality But he controlled his negative reaction. He bit his tongue and he said nothing. And Misoponus filled the cup a third time and gave it to them. They drank and gave it back to him. And he said, life is a battle between good people and evil people. So they looked at each other in disbelief and they couldn't keep quiet anymore. They said, oh great oracle, can you explain this one to us? He said, some people are good. And some people are bad. What's there to explain? He looked at them, took a deep breath, like in frustration. And he said, there's so much evil in the world. Where does it come from? And he paused, expecting them to answer. But they were speechless. From evil people, he said. It's up to you and the rest of the good people in this world to fight them. We must be warriors for virtue and goodness. You can see how bad and wrong some people are, and you must call them out on it. You must assemble a coalition of the righteous and shame the evil ones until they change their ways. But one of the people in the group said, but don't they also think the same about us? How can we know that it is we who are right and they who are wrong? I mean, one group's terrorists is another group's freedom fighters. So Misoponus responded, and he wasn't happy at all. He's like, have you learned nothing from me today? Trust your feelings. Do you feel that you're right? Or do you feel that you're wrong? I feel that this interview's over. Get out. And of course, at the end of the story, they explain that there is no Misoponus, they never went to Greece, they never went up the mountain, up a trail, or anything to find these three points because they're present all around us. They call them the three great untruths. The three great untruths. Again, let me uh, summarize them for you. The first one, what doesn't kill, kill you makes you weaker. The untruth of fragility. The second one, the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. And the third, the untruth of us versus them. Life is a battle between good people and evil. The good people must fight the evil people. Now if there's anything, they call this, um, the, the title of the book is called The Coddling of the American Mind. How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. If you want to read up more. So they're saying basically while many things we say and think might be untrue, it takes a lot for something to be part of this big category of a great untruth. It contradicts ancient wisdom, contradicts modern psychology, research science, and it harms the individuals and communities who embrace it. It harms communities and individuals who embrace it. Like the man who was mute and blind today. We don't need to be possessed by a demon to be blind and mute. Only by these ideas. Now, rarely are these ideas taught explicitly anywhere. But so much of what we do, so much of what is taught in schools and universities, is built on these ideas, is based on these ideas. And the result is that we grow up. We we're developing this sort of blindness and muteness and inability to interact and engage with the world and the inability to do anything positive in the world other than point and say i don't like this or i don't like that now how do we change this how do we free ourselves from this one of the suggestions they have is for whatever doesn't kill you make you makes you weaker in order to deal with this they suggest do not prepare the child the the road for the child prepare the child for the road meaning that do not run away from difficult and bad experiences and and try to prevent anything negative and difficult from happening so that you never have any bad experience so that life is nice and smooth and easy and enjoyable we're all prone to emotional reasoning and confirmation bias. We're all prone to this, and we need to be aware of it in order to mitigate its results. In order to for our thinking to be clear, to be sober, it's so easy to follow our. Say, I feel that this person is wrong. I used to have a professor in school who would take away marks anyone said something like this in class when he asked a question. Say. I feel that the answer is this. He would take away a mark. It doesn't matter. What the, it doesn't matter if your answer is right. As soon as you say "I feel" and you give an answer based on feelings, it takes away a mark. He <laughs> wants you to say "I think," because making uh, conclusions based on feelings is dangerous. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful. Is deceitful and must be tested. Must be checked. Oh, and knows bad guys. It's so easy to point and say all of our problems are because of them and scapegoat. A group of people to carry all the burden of all the bad things that are happening in the world. Oh, it's the problem of the Jews. No, 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 it's the problem of the Muslims. No, no, it's the problem of the Christians. No, no, it's the problem of all the religious people. They're the source of all evil in the world. But there was a man who went and saw and experienced true evil in concentration camps and actually work camps, they call them the gulags in Siberia during Soviet era Russia. This man's name is Alexander Solnitsin. never get the name right? He was a Russian dissident. Basically, he was arrested because in a private meeting, he criticized the leader. He criticized Stalin. In private letters to a friend, these letters ended up in the hands of the authority. He got arrested. And sent to Siberia, to a place very inhospitable, very cold. They worked them basically to death, and that's the whole point. And he said it was very difficult for us who were very supportive of Stalin to get arrested and sent to this place, a place where so many of us sent a lot of the people there. A lot of the people they met there, that he met there, he signed their arrest order. He is the one who signed it. And he actually confronts one of the prisoners. Then he says, "I feel very guilty because that prisoner was helping him." And he said, "I remember signing your arrest order." And he actually he he thought at first. He said, "If that person knew that I was the one, I was the reason he ended up here, would he uh, be as helpful? Would he be as kind?" There was a whole thing that happened, and eventually he confessed and he came clear clean with him. So. It was a a very difficult time for him and he really thought about it, like, I really want to be mad at someone. Who are the bad guys in this picture? Because at one point, I was on the other side and I was sending people to this place. And now, I'm in this place experiencing the difficulty, experiencing the horror, experiencing the hardship that part of this place. Who are the bad, who do I get mad at? And he discovered this. He realized, it's not just you know as easy as saying oh it's the executioner's fault or it's the person who signed the, the the orders or it's the person who executed the order and arrested he said after years in the gulag if only it were so simple if only there were evil people somewhere and they were committed to doing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them if only it was that simple the conclusion he reached was the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being the line dividing between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being that's why it's very difficult very difficult to say it's the the, the fault of this side or the fault of that side with 100% accuracy and 100% confidence because you will find innocence on both sides and you will find guilt on both sides And that's why it makes it very difficult to live with this third great untruth. That life is about being the good guy and and fighting the bad guy. And then you go around finding who's the bad guy. And you go around encouraging people to shame the bad guy. And you praise the people who shame the bad guy the best. And you shame the people who do not shame the bad guy. The people who are quiet. The people who do not follow this third. Great untruth, and it's these ideas because they're so pervasive, they essentially render us blind and mute. Because we're unable to see the world for what it really is, we see a version of the world where everything is supposed to work the way we expect it to work. Good things supposed to happen to good people. It's a battle between good and bad people. But when we realize that that line, that dividing line, runs through borders, it runs through. Countries. It runs through communities. It doesn't only run through that, but it runs through the heart of every one of us. So, how is it that we can live with this great untruth by first confronting it? And when we do confront it, we realize we realize how blind and mute we were, and how blinding it is to just follow this idea when it's being pervasively uh, pushed and and placed in front of us presenting one group as evil and another group as good, presenting one group as innocent and another group as guilty. And the irony is that once this man, once Christ took out the demon from this man, he was able to speak and he was able to, to hear the blind and to see. So now the blind and the mute man, his ability to speak and to see was never something that was taken away from him, like innately, like it was always there, it was always there. Something went in him to prevent him to be able to do this. Naturally, he's able to think, he's able to speak, he's able to see. Naturally, he's able to be part of this world and interact with this world, and he's created in the image of God. This is who we are. We're able to do this. And when we find that we're not able to do this, something went wrong with the picture. Something went in that was added to the, to the list of ingredients, to the mix, that is preventing us from being able to do this. It's not that what we're being asked to do, what God is asking us to do, commanding us to do, to love one another as I have loved you, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemy. It's not that these, these, these asks are too big for us. That these asks uh, these asks should be coming naturally to us if our orientation is pointed in the right direction, if our orientation is pointed towards God, if it's pointed or influenced by... Well, we're going to find that it's very difficult to follow these things because we're both blind and mute to how the world really is. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God,